0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the third panel in the 2023 Film Music Media Symposium series. My name is Kai Svaz. I'm the founder of Film Music Media. Uh, Today, we are looking at uh, uh, with a great group of composers that music plays a crucial role in the audience experience by enhancing the emotional impact of a scene. Uh, A composer score can set the tone for the project. uh, And we'll explore just how this panel of creative storytellers uh, does just that. So let's just jump right in and welcome our panel. So first up. He is the composer of the 2023, 2023 film, The Old Way. Please welcome Andrew Morgan-Smith. Andrew, how are you doing? Good, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining, yeah. Um, she is the composer behind projects like Marlene, Add to Wishlist, Rock the Cradle, and The Good Father, The Martin McNeil Story. Please welcome Janelle Beckfold hey, Hi, everyone.
1: I'm good. Thanks
0: for joining us. Um, he is the composer behind projects like Troll, The Quake, and Norseman. Please welcome Johannes Ringen. Giannis, how you doing? Hi, good, how are you? <laughs> good, good. And last but not least, he is the composer for Marvel's Wastelanders and composer sound designer for a Slave Play. Please welcome Lindsey Jones. How you doing, Lindsey? Hi,
2: everyone. Good. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another uh, awesome panel. It's so great to have a group of uh, amazing storytellers like yourselves together. So I just want to start off just maybe get... Uh, kind of a little bit of an origin story from everyone. If anyone, um, we can go around the room. Uh, if What what do you remember as kind of the earliest experience that um, that you were really emotionally impacted by film, TV or anything, music that kind of really pulled you into the storytelling, visual storytelling world with, you know, music as in, you know, helping the narrative. There's something from your childhood. Was it later on something that really was like, oh, this has left a lasting impact on me. And we can uh, jump around the room. If Andrew, if you want to kick us off.
3: Sure. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it, film music was always part of my life. Like, I remember even from a small child listening to film music. My dad had cassette tapes and all this kind of stuff. But I think, um, the first real, um, moment that it kind of clicked as as more than just a listening experience was uh, in in high school. I went to see, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and for whatever reason, um, that really clicked with me. I don't know why. I saw the movie seven times. I mean. Yeah. Obviously, we know, as in, like, of all the things that was the thing that clicked for me. I loved Star Wars, I watched Star Wars nonstop, all these things, but for whatever reason, that was it, right? And I watched it maybe seven times in the theaters. And after that, I just thought, like, that's what I want to do, you know? Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. I remember seeing that. It was like, what, 2002, three? I forget when <laughs> it
3: was something, something like that. that. Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: <laughs> uh Lindsay, how about yourself? <laughs> So I think I'm a little bit older
2: than some people on this call because I uh I went to the opening weekend of Star Wars in oh, 1977 wow. and um you know I was probably 8 years old and just the magnificence of that score absolutely blew me away and um I just remember being completely astounded that music could be so emotionally effective so oh. tied to the character's emotions and yet be um, so full and rich in its sound as well as just such a memorable piece of music like just like a really incredible melody that you couldn't get out of your head and yet at the same time had um, made it so tailored to the emotions of the scene and i think
0: that's what really attracted me to it wow that's amazing uh janelle how about yourself (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting so far that so many people have talked about Star Wars, um, but it, Star Wars was something that also really impacted me, um, partly because when we... So I grew up without a television, um, or at least we didn't actually um, have, have one all of the time. And my mom wasn't really into us watching, watching films, um, but when it came to Star Wars, I was able to watch the first little bit before my bedtime. So I, I always got to a certain point and then I had to go to bed, but <laughs> I remember it being just so spectacular and probably because we didn't get to watch um, so, uh, so much media all the time. It's not like today where um, I think we're totally inundated with media. You know, I have really fond memories of um, on special occasions, my parents would rent like a, a VHS player and we would watch old classic musicals. That was our thing. And so um, those really brought the fun um, and the joy that one can experience with film and film music. Um, but there was something really special about, about some of the, um, you know, like, like Star Wars, which is a lot different than your standard, uh, you know, golden age musical. Mm-hmm.
0: That's amazing. So yeah, so it was just like it's a special treat. So every night you just got to just live in that little little world for a few moments.
1: Yeah, very special.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Johannes. How about yourself? <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. <clears throat> I grew up with with games, so that's where I'm coming oh, nice. from. And I and I remember actually that I was recording with a tape recorder because I thought the music was awesome. <laughs> but when it comes to <laughs> Movies. Uh, our teacher uh, took us to Schindler's List, and uh, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't need any more introduction. It's, it's it's a fantastic movie with fantastic music. So um, I think I think it's fair to say that it just stood the test of time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. What
0: games? I'm curious. What games did you grow up that really like? Do you remember any scores or games that uh, stood out to you, or? that uh,
4: you know, um. I I even remember the Commodore sixty
0: four. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. <laughs> so
4: uh, there are some some really awesome composers from from there. So I, every now and then I listen to the the composer do chip chip tunes. Yeah. Like uh, there's there's a guy Ben Douglas and uh, yeah it's, it's 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 awesome.
0: I recently went on this kind of a uh, YouTube kind of spiral of just watching orchestras do like Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong and all those like great Nintendo scores and just doing there's Japanese orchestras was one in, uh, in, in Quebec that didn't make, I'm just like this, uh, the, the, just the music just is so amazing that <laughs> from those, I grew up with super Nintendo. So those were like, <laughs> that what stuck with me. Um, so yeah, let's, I want to jump over to, to Andrew first, Andrew, I want to talk to you about your uh, congratulations on the old way, uh, amazing film and the score. Uh, so starring Nicholas Cage. So it, the Western is, is one of my favorite genres. So I'm curious how you approach this film especially with all i guess the musical baggage that comes with a genre whether you're going more morricone or more you know americana you know there's so many different ways you can go so i'm curious how you approached it to kind of create your version of, of the american west
3: uh the is i chose all of them no I, oh, yeah. I uh so so it was an interesting challenge on that score because as you said like there's what a western is has definitely morphed over time right yeah you know? the what the western is versus you know silverado the good the bad and the ugly all these different worlds it seems like a western's been scored in every genre you know like yeah people have done it in uh you know spaghetti westerns with guitars they've done it in minimalist guitars they've done it in orchestras and um as the tone evolved on the movie we realized that the guitar tone by itself wasn't going to be enough it was just kind of too intimate um, you know, they shot it in Montana. So there'd be these huge vistas, you know, they, we'd, we'd cut away these huge vistas and the just, the guitar stuff just felt so intimate. It just didn't do enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is the tone of the movie kind of evolved and we were looking at much more of a classic studio Western, much more of what you'd get with like a John Wayne film versus a more modern film, which is usually a lot more gritty and a lot more realistic. So this was a little bit more of a, of a, of a callback to an older time. So, um, what I ended up pulling um, inspiration from was actually from Rocky Mountain folk music, so a bit of Americana, and then also going back to like kind of Copeland uh, sounds and then kind of merging those two to create this modern, modern classic studio Western sound, a little bit of uh, of kind of uh, assembly of the best parts of each thing, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Rock, uh, Rocky Mountain folk music is so interesting, too. And I think just pulling from folk music in general, I I got into... Appalachian kind of folk music, kind of on the East Coast here too. And there was this album I just found in one playlist or something that was just like the Appalachian like picking society or something. And it was some amazing, beautiful stuff that really just resonated. And I think so much inspiration there. Yeah,
3: yeah. It it was truly. I mean, it it. So many of them have like similarities, but then they all have their own their own little, um, you know, language that they're speaking and doing and, um. And it was cool also to try and take some of those influences and not just be, not just grab the instruments, but try and also translate that stuff back over into the orchestra. So a lot of open chords, a lot of open fourths and fifths, a lot of um, material like that as well. And then having orchestra do um, fiddle motions and fiddle ostinato kind of stuff um, was a lot of fun for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Johannes, I want to jump over to you because, you know, Troll is... One of the top uh, foreign language films on netflix and uh i'm curious did you uh approach creating the musical identity for the, the titular monster and, and what was your approach for that and what were some of the key considerations that you had in mind when you know scoring the scenes where the monster's you know on screen
4: <laughs> yeah 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 the, the troll uh without any spoiler alerts i think um it, obviously it's it's a big troll and with the impact and everything but it also has some emotional side to it and uh, uh the director Ruar he uh, he's really he loves brass so uh, <laughs> that was sort of like it needs to be brass yeah uh but but then we uh so we we had when we recorded it we had a sort of like a double brass section and um we um but but there's also an emotional side to the troll, so yeah, um, yeah, and we wanted to give it a sort of like a Nordic uh, flavor, so we used a, a hardanger fiddle, uh, which is a Norwegian instrument. Troll troll is uh, is, is is from Norway, uh, <laughs> so 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 to give it a sort of like an intimate, uh, emotional uh, sort of uh, vibe, uh, that's that's where we we we. Um, we, we got that from, from the, from the Hardonger fiddle.
0: Absolutely. Uh, uh, Lindsay, let's, uh, I'm going to take it over to you now. So Marvel's Wastelanders is a series of uh, radio drama podcasts. How is this format different from your other projects? And are there any challenges that arise since you're not scoring to an image on screen?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest challenge is that, um, there's no picture. So, uh, audio is the entire vehicle of the storytelling. So, music really has to do two jobs. It has to both sort of connect emotionally to the characters as they're experiencing parts of the story, but there also really is meant to sort of inform, you know, what what the visual would be if you could see it. Um, and right. so uh, Wastelanders, uh, the version that I did, there, there are six um, parts of Marvel Wastelanders and I did the final series, which is a series of 10 episodes that is a, a massive sort of battle of Dr. Doom, Black Widow, Star-Lord, um, Wolverine, a bunch of Marvel characters. And um, I it was really exciting to be able to explore both the sort of what are traditional superhero themes, the way we think of um, you know Marvel film music in this moment in time, but then also because it's set in the future um, where the world has been decimated and the world has been taken over by villains who are now sort of seen as heroes and the superheroes are actually seen as villains. Um, right. It's really about flipping those themes on their head and using glitch uh, sounds and broken computer sounds, things like that to sort of create this really strange, broken, foreign world that we live in. And so it's sort of like transitioning back and forth between this, you know, a pop host about clip of time. And the glory days of superheroes. So it's a wonderful challenge to use those themes to not only connect emotionally, but also illustrate
0: what the sort of epic scope of the story is um, through audio. Yeah. I think that the whole podcast boom has really opened back up to kind of narrative going back days of radio, just kind of, you know, audio narratives and creating that. So I think it's such an interesting thing how. History is repeating, but also evolving in certain ways. So That's awesome that you got to work on something like that. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, it's been so much fun. I really had a wonderful time. (laughs) Well, uh, Janelle, I want to jump over to you. Uh, We have to talk about the feature film you scored in Marlene, uh, which tells the story of a man that was wrongfully convicted of murder through the lens of his wife. So I'm curious what your scoring process was just to find that kind of tone and atmosphere of tension, suspense, but also, you know, the perspective of keeping it, you know, through the character, of course. (laughs)
1: Right. So the Stephen Truscott case was really important in Canada's history. It's essentially, he was 14 years old when he was um, accused of raping and murdering one of his classmates. Um, he was 14 and sentenced to death. And um, it actually overturned Canada's um, capital punishment laws, which is really, really um, notable. And yeah. so um, this film is, is um, it's it's a quiet simmering drama and so i we chose to use a bit of a classical approach and so most of the score is uh, a string section with with a you know some some woodwinds added in but marlene has this really uncanny ability to recreate and and re-envision um what she's reading about what she's learning in her head so much that she actually says that it was as if she was actually there and so for those moments that really required something a little bit different it was very psychological and so we brought brought in um, some scents into the into the palette and i i love to use a combination of different kinds of 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 scents you know i'll bring in um something with like Really distorted, crunchy layer. Um, I might have something that pulses. Um, you know, something that swirls and whirls, and just sort of bring those in and out, uh, so that you've got this evolving texture. And then the other thing that that I um, I'm very conscious about when when building suspense is taking. starting somewhere so for example I might start in like a low range where as humans you know that immediately triggers that something's not right I think it sort of evolved from uh from you know when we were out in the um trying to you know, outrun um, predators and things, um, and then yeah. I'll I'll slowly um, widen that frequency spectrum and frequency range, so that when when we're getting really tense, you know, I'll I'll you know we'll have a swell in you know up to the the higher registers as well. So that's one of the the interesting techniques that I use.
0: That's so fascinating. I always I always tell people I feel like composers are just like psychologists and therapists like really because you, not only do you have to deal with your filmmakers and your directors and kind of make sure that they're happy but you're really trying to find the audiences, kind of the psychological aspect of how the story is going to affect them through notes and and builds and just the you know thematic structure so I really find that aspect of storytelling you know so fascinating that you know, you're well, incorporating it, all those techniques yeah
1: it, well it's so interesting that you say that because my background is actually I'm I'm trained as a music therapist
0: wow there you go that's yeah, amazing. So... <laughs> I mean, I always, music was my therapy growing up. Anytime I need to just disappear into, you know, if I was having a bad day or something, you know, scores were my kind of escape too, you know, specifically, you know, film scores and stuff like that, anything that I had emotional connection to. But I think as an effect on the audience, that's, it, it's always fascinating to me. I always love diving into that. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> um, but as composers, you all uh, use music to establish the tone and mood in your projects. Um, you know what techniques or approaches do you apply to create a score that effectively supports the plot and enhances the feelings of a scene? Um, so I'm curious, Johannes, if you could uh, tell me what works for you. You know what kind of techniques or approaches do you apply that affect that would effectively support you know the plot, enhance, you know, bring the scene out?
4: Sure, I I could tell a little bit of troll the movie we we just did. Yeah. Um and uh, we were trying to find something about troll from the sort of like the the popular culture that we could tap into, and uh, everyone has heard uh, the the Hall of the Mountain King, duh, 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 duh. and uh, it, it's been used in movies before. But uh, the, uh, the composer Grig is from Norway, and the Mountain King is actually a troll, so we wow. we use that as sort of a. a theme for the whole movie and we did like variations of that uh, theme and i extracted some chord progressions out out of uh, that exact uh, theme so uh, i don't think the the average listener uh, will um, <laughs> will pick it up that there's a lot of the mountain king there um, but that that's a technique to sort of like you after all you're you're trying to create a universe and if you right. can find an angle, um, that that's, uh, that's always good.
0: Yeah. And absolutely. I, that And that piece has it's, and I love that you're using it kind of like that, because I feel like this piece has sort of become, kind of, I, every YouTube video I watch now, it's usually used as like a comedic thing or, you know, something like, and, and it kind of lost its, I think power. So the fact that you're kind of extracting yeah. DNA and kind of bring it into your score. I thought that that's pretty cool. <laughs> Um, Janelle, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to jump back to you real quick uh, the, to talk about the short film you scored, uh, Rock the Cradle, which deals with themes of postpartum depression. Um, with such a serious and heavy theme, how do you incorporate that into the score and kind of balance that, the weight of the subject matter?
1: Yeah, this this was a really, really difficult film in that, um, like you said, the topic is something that isn't talked about a lot, but affects yeah. a lot of women. And so, um The the filmmaker took a very experimental approach. She wanted to show more of sort of what cerebrally was happening um, inside, inside these, uh, you know, this woman's head. And so she used some experimental filmmaking techniques. She used some black box and she was telling me about how how they used um, like a lot of water as a just an image so there might be a bowl like a fish bowl in one scene there might be a glass of water and so I actually pitched her on the idea of creating the score using using water and and other sounds from the film and so I use mostly mostly um water or instruments that use water and then um and then the breath I found the that 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 uh that just Position between um, breath and water, you know, you've got the air and the water um, together that actually kind of gave us a really interesting palette to work with. And uh, it's um, unlike anything I've I've written before, but um, I did a lot of digital manipulation. There's a lot of reversed sounds, um, especially since she had really, really sharp cuts in and out of the black box scenes. So um, really, really tried to to use that.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, mean, that's just the because in life, breath and water is like the opposite. We can't breathe underwater, but the fact that they merge together sonically, like that's so fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was It was actually, um, there was like the one, the one other thing that I did is I actually had um, an instrument created using drips um, oh, so wow. that I could um, try and play them a little bit more tonally which was, which was fun. So that's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, wanna, I'm going to jump over to you now. Uh, you also had the opportunity to score uh, slave play, which received two Tony award nominations for best score and best sound design. Uh, first of all, congratulations on those nominations. That's, that's fantastic. And um, thank you. And so for your scoring process, did you look at different, uh, do you look uh, different for live theater setting or did you use that to your advantage to create an atmosphere that complemented the themes of the play?
2: Yeah. So it's interesting when you score a theater, uh, it is, it is a similar process to film, but it is different in that when you score a film, no matter how many times you film, watch the film, yeah. uh, the actor's performance will always be the same, no matter how many times you watch it. Um, right. and in theater, that is not how it works at all. Uh, the, you know, you have the live element that happens every night. So when you're creating music to underscore theater, Um, you're really thinking about creating cues in a very modular way so that um, you're essentially picking points where um, an actor makes a shift in their intention and then lining up the shift of music there so that that it sort of seems seamless along with what they're doing. So if I write a piece of music for an underscore for a piece of theater, there could be anywhere from seven to 15 cues that fill in that two-minute uh, piece of music so that it feels yeah. connected to the actor's performance um, in Slay Play, which is a really controversial play. Um, it's got some very sensitive adult topics. then um, in, in the latter half of the play, there is a, a violent sexual assault that is part of the show. And um, the director had originally said to me, you know, I want this to be scored like it was done by Elmer Bernstein for Cape Fear, you know, just full yeah. on, uh, full blast orchestral sort of um, excitement, and uh, I was, I, I did that, and we tried it, and we all felt like it was just too much, and so we just started pulling that back slowly, um, and what we found is the more instruments we pulled away, the more sort of intense and uh, tension filled. The moment was and so the final uh, moment all of that orchestra was gone it was a series of sort of tones that I had um, created through um, sort of speaker field um, manipulation as well as like um, wind chimes and natural sounds things that felt very atmospheric and um, you know by removing most of the sort of what you could consider to be tension filled music and just creating it with atmosphere and just musical accents that provided an experience that was way more intense um and so I, I learned a lot doing that doing that score actually it was really a lot of fun
0: i'm I'm curious just out of uh just piggybacking on that because when you're composing for for live theater i i, would, I know i know every movie theater is Technically different in terms of size and shape, but I feel like in in terms of live performances, any auditorium can you know the acoustics and the size can change. And how does the mix of how it's playing live for an audience change from venue to venue? Are you part of that? Do, is there a standardization kind of like you know when you think of like a five point one seven point Atmos anything like that that theaters use, or is how do you make sure that the score is working? I guess in the at the right mix when you're performing live with actors on stage.
2: So that's a great question, and actually part of my job as being a theatrical sound designer is to specify that sound system. So in addition to writing the music, I also create all of the soundscapes, but also select and design the system by which everything's going to be played back on. If you go to a Broadway theater um, and you see a sound system in any, any Broadway theater in New York City... Um, that sound system was brought in specifically for that production. There are no built-in sound systems anywhere in a theater in New York. Um, They're all rented, brought in and built for that production. Um, So uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a big part of that experience. And um, the other challenging part is you're really trying to make sure that everyone in the audience has the exact same experience. So you're, Really um, creating a speaker system setup that hopefully has the right coverage to to get everybody in the do- the auditorium so that everyone, no matter where they're sitting or how much they paid, and there is a difference um, yeah. from the, the back row to the front, um, you want them all to be equally engaged and feel like they really got their money's worth on the show.
0: That's amazing. That's, that's so much work, I think. But it's so, I mean, if you'd be involved in that aspect, it's so, that's fascinating. That's awesome.
2: It's <laughs> um, really and, fun. And and I, yeah. I mean, that, that, being that guy who actually gets to pick the speaker system, um, it, it you know, you have a lot of control over you, how you hear the music that you don't necessarily always have in film. So I, right. I don't mind it at all.
0: Because yeah, you can compose a score, and it you know you don't know if the person's listening to it on something like this, or they're sitting at the Chinese theater, or, you know, the giant auditorium. It can vary very differently on wherever you know it's being presented. So the fact that you get to control that that must be creatively, I mean, really cool. <laughs> um yeah, But Andrew, fun. I want to really I want to jump uh, jump over to you. Uh, how do you effectively collaborate? Or uh, I guess base your score off the work of other creatives, uh, like the sound design team, for example. Kind of, you know, uh, what uh, you know, Lindsay was talking about, or to build tension and manipulate the viewer's emotions. Like, how do you effectively collaborate with everybody around you?
3: Um, a lot of times, um, you know, they'll they'll have a separate spotting session. Um, sometimes I'll be involved. Sometimes I'm not. Usually, mm-hmm. usually I try not to be because I don't want to step on anybody's toes or be in be in the way. Um, right. But I always am aware of what other people might want to do and mm-hmm. explore opportunities that <clears throat> that might be really cool to explore. So, um, you know, a perfect example is if I know something's going to be super loud, then I often try to stay out of the way of it. Cause, uh, I don't know, I'll, almost every time I go to a mix session, if there's an explosion, you know, it's just taking up the whole frequency range. Don't even right. bother, you know, <laughs> Like yeah, <laughs> like just maybe stay out of the way for the initial explosion, then come back in or something. But, um, but it also leads some cool times to really experiment. I remember there was this indie movie that I worked on, and um, they had really built this really cool um almost jump scare into this opening into this tension sequence. This woman was supposed to be asleep on this sca- on the couch, and she's scared that somebody's going to come in the house. Well, she has a nightmare that somebody's in the house. She sees the person. She wakes up. And then once she's awake, she hears somebody outside the house going around the outside of the house, right? So, what we were able to do, which was really cool, is you have this big build and jump scare with the person in the, inside the house with the nightmare, and then we basically went to almost nothing with yeah. um with the only the sound design playing where you could actually hear, you know, the person walking around the outside of the house. Um, and then we just brought in the real score, like much more score whenever, you know, it was more revealed where the person was. And I think it it created this nice opportunity of so many times it's so easy to telegraph that, oh, we're about to have the scare, mm-hmm. right? But in, but in films like Alien and all these different movies, you know, it's like the scariest parts was where there was no score. And then, yeah. then the thing jumps out at you and you have no idea when it's going to jump out at you, right? You have no idea when that cat is going to get jumped out, all you had was a little like the little range finder. Right. And you just hear the noise of the range getting higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And, um, and I think, you know, experimenting and looking for those moments. Um, and obviously sometimes they get nixed and, and, you know, it doesn't work out, but it's always nice to, to look for the moment that maybe it's not the traditional answer, you know, of like, Hey, let's make right. it scary. Hey, let's make it happy or whatever. And, um, and let some other people really kind of take the reins and compliment what we're doing, you know?
0: Yeah. Do you find it challenging that like, I feel like, you know, people, I think a lot of top level executives under underestimate the, just the intelligence of the audience. And if you find yourself scoring a scene that maybe feels formulaic or feels like, okay, this you're building up to a jump scare and you can feel it coming, you know, when we're just, you know, if you're watching a horror movie, sometimes you can just be like, I I, I can feel it coming. As a composer, do you, is it challenging to find new ways to build tension, new ways to create atmosphere? Or is it, do you just find it from starting from scratch and looking at each film as its own? Like, it only exists, this film only exists, nothing else exists from like film history. But uh, for you as a composer, is it challenging? Is it easy to find new ways to, I guess, get to those certain emotional places or emotional releases for the audience?
3: I mean, professionally, I want to say that I try to start, you know, from from zero every time but but obviously there's going to be tropes that we all work with there's going to be tropes that we fall back on because that's how you write that's how you've learned to write um and then the the producer component and director component is a real thing or even network component if you're on a tv show if we were on a or on some kind of tv product or tv movie or something um the aforementioned indie film i was talking about got that whole sequence got chopped to pieces (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and destroyed and ended up having music through the whole thing yeah. um, because of the exact, uh, of that exact concern. And I think it's really hard. I think to some extent, especially in like thriller horror space, it's really hard to keep your objectivity um, as you go down the process, right? Like once you've watched this movie 50, 60 times, how do you, yeah, keep, yeah. how do you keep yourself not wanting to, Oh, well I, like, we just got to speed this up. We got to get through this. And and I've gotten notes like that from producers where like, we just, like, we just need to get past this, you know, whereas yeah. I try to take very detailed notes, um, especially emotional beats whenever I do the spotting sessions or when I first watch the movie, because I have to really rely on those notes to stay, um, to stay true to that initial audience viewing. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there's a little mixture of everything. You know, I always try to find something that in every film that kind of is the thing kind of what we were talking about earlier of like, what's the thing that you're doing in this movie that's your almost like the actor's secret, you know, like some, a lot of actors say, Oh, well my character has a secret and that's how they keep their edge. It's like in every movie you try to find an angle. And, um, but you know, at some
0: point you, you still got to turn in the score (laughs) and finish up (laughs) the deadline. Yeah. It doesn't wait. (laughs) Exactly. absolutely um before we we wrap up our conversation i do want to go around the room real quick and i love i want to ask a question that normally i start a conversation with but the fact that we've kind of got to hear everyone's techniques and approaches and really you're diving into your craft but i'm interested as all of you as human beings as storytellers um so i love to ask this question of what does music mean to you whatever you make of that question whatever sense you make of it As a person, as a professional, as a musician, as a composer, as a storyteller, just what does music mean to you? So I'll start with uh, Johannes if you want to kick us off, uh, set the tone.
4: (laughs) Oh, that—that's a good question can i say everything yeah you can say everything whatever it means yeah however you take the question if it's everything it's
0: how you breathe if it's just your creative way of scratching your your itch or what i'm curious yeah what does it mean to you
4: yeah i i I guess all of us that's there's a reason why we do this for a living and uh, yeah uh, at least for me it's it's um it speaks to me on an emotional level and uh that's where i grew up uh, listening to music and um yeah so, so a, a little jokingly of course that i'm saying that it means, means everything but uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it means
0: everything yeah uh janelle how about yourself
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a very difficult question but um for me i really i really feel like it's that thread that that really ties humanity together. I mean, they yeah. always say that, you know, like animals can't experience music the way we do, but, you know, music is something that's in every single culture around the world. So yeah, it's definitely the thread that connects us all.
0: Yeah, it's that universal language that just kind of, you know, you can feel maybe, despite different instrumentation or, or style, just like, it, it just, you can read it, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, how about yourself?
2: I mean, to me, music is two things. Um, The first is it's an endless mystery that I feel myself Mm -hmm. constantly trying to unravel. And the more I learn, the more mysterious it is. And it just keeps drawing me in to want to learn more and understand more about how it works and how it affects people. And then the other thing is, and I say this, I I teach a class in um, composition um, at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. And I always use the phrase emotional context it mm. uh, music gives us the ability to create a context by which we can understand other people's emotions we can see what they say and we and we can perceive their performances but music gives us a window into the emotions that they're feeling in a way that they may not ever be able to verbalize and that is yeah. that's this hidden connection that we can that is only through music in my opinion that gives us the ability to identify with others and understand them
0: in a more deep emotional way than we would without it. You no, know, beautifully said, absolutely. <laughs> Andrew, how about yourself?
3: The unfortunate thing about going last is that I feel like I'm gonna copy off everyone's yeah. of homework. Um, <laughs> so, so I do think, I think to me, I mean, it's a, it's a form of communication, right? Like as a filmmaker mm-hmm. and a storyteller, um, you know, our job is to make is to have the audience understand and empathize with uh, a person on the screen that they have no con like like Lindsay said they have no context for what that person's life has been like they have no they have no understanding of that right we're and we're supposed to do that and um even like it's just we can listen to music in any language right you know we can listen to italian opera and it can be the most beautiful thing on the on the planet and i'll have arguments with my mother-in-law until the day i die about that well hopefully the day she dies before i you know have that but anyway you no know, and and that lyrics are beautiful and can be beautiful and can be very meaningful but there's something even yeah. deeper to um to uh to we had this discussion of like what's more important lyrics or music and sorry to all you lyricists out there it's like the music is the more universal thing right it's it it's the thing that that gives gives um the initial understanding to to the, yeah. everyone in the audience you know um and that's really you know the thing that uh, like talk everyone else has said it's the thing that can kind of connect us universally and as filmmakers even more can communicate things that in in the old way the two characters it's like heavily implied they're on they're on the spectrum so they don't emote in the same way that a normal movie does and part of the challenge was to what is the inner emotion going on even though they're not outside showing what that is, right? It's giving
0: yeah, yeah. Things,
3: context and emotion to information to the audience.
0: Um but yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. I mean you're I mean that's what a score is too you're you're also saying stuff that yeah can't be said via dialogue or being shown practically whatever you're seeing on screen on screen. It's it's what's unspoken um hundred percent. Um so uh I wanna go around it one last time before we wrap up and uh if if you uh, you know a lot of young composers uh, people getting into the industry for the first time are watching these videos and i know it's impossible to kind of sum everything up mm-hmm. in like one little piece of advice because especially since everything is changing so fast and just us working in this field watching the ground shifting beneath us every day as technology changes as the industry changes but i'm curious if you could give just one piece of advice to anyone who's entering this field at the start of their careers what advice would that be? And then to finish us off, if there's anything that you can share that you're working on that we should be, you know, keeping a, a lookout for uh, in the future, uh, let us know because I know there's some NDAs and maybe you can't speak to everything, but if there's anything that we can hear about, I'd love to know that. So um, uh, Janelle, if you want to uh, kick us off.
1: Sure. So I have I have two pieces of advice. Um, one is this is an industry of persistence. Mm. So it takes time to develop really strong connections with people. Um, so you want to think about about making friends in the industry, people that have the same kind of creative um, sensibilities that you do. That you you want to sort of. Um, work work with them consistently over the, the span of your career. So it, it takes persistence to find those people and to create enough relationships that you can have a sustainable career. And the other thing is never lose your sense of play. This is really important, I find. Um, you know, it's it's all... There's so much out there about this piece of gear and that piece of gear and this new software and that software, but ultimately it's about what makes you unique and sometimes Mm -hmm. finding that little something that can't be bought in a VST or, um, you know, isn't, isn't, um, you know, in the the latest and greatest synthesizer, um, but something that's unique um, that can, that can really go a long way to um, having, having your own notable sound.
0: No, very well said. Hmm. (laughs) Is there anything that you're working on that we can look forward to coming out, or is uh, everything under wraps still?
1: <laughs> no 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 no. Um I uh I'm actually really excited um coming up um soon is going to be the second of uh in a, a trilogy and it's called Brave Rebel Army, Army which is the second um the first one is Brave Little Army and this is essentially the same girls from the first film but now they're um, they're 22 and they're at university and after a um a very terrifying experience on campus that involves one of one of their own. Um, the uh, the young women take it take justice into their own hands, and so it's a bit of a, a dramatic fantasy. It should be really exciting, and I'm That's yeah, awesome. I'm yeah, should be good.
0: <laughs> awesome, can't wait for that. Uh, Johannes, how about yourself? Any uh, first off, what's a, a, a tip you would give to somebody entering the, the industry?
4: Yeah, yeah, my advice would be to understand why you're there and what is expected of you and um, you know our role after all it's we're there to support the story we want to write awesome music that's really awesome and it stands on its own but at the end of the day it's all about storytelling yeah that's at least something that it took a little while for me to to understand
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I had a, I a, a started, I had a, a, to connect that I interviewed Alan Silvestri one time and he told me a story from when he first started on his first project. And he was literally, he was like, he got pulled aside by like, I forget the director, or the producer. He was like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, this is not about you. Why are you putting your music in front of everything else? This is about the film. And that was like a snap for him. He's like, that's right. It's not about, my music it's about how this music can help you know the collaborative process of the whole thing but that's exactly what you put and i thought hearing it from him who's done you know all these scores yeah. was so crazy
4: yeah i'm a, I'm a huge fan of Sil- Silvestri, the back to the future yeah. score i always come back to that it's uh, it's such a fint- fantastic movie
0: absolutely and uh yeah for sorry if i, if I uh, cut you off if you want to finish your thought on anything that's coming up that we can look forward to <laughs>
4: yeah um i recently finished a show uh captain fall guy which is coming out on netflix uh i'm not exactly sure when it's coming out um so i'm really excited about that and um i'm doing um a, a convoy which is a second world war drama oh wow uh so, yeah so uh this is two really nice projects that i'm excited about so um I hope the the audience will receive them
0: well. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. We can't, yeah. can't, we can't wait. We can't wait to check it out. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, for you, what's a, a piece of advice that you would give to, I know you're also an educator and a teacher, so I'm curious, you know, you probably have some words of wisdom.
2: You know, the thing that has taken me the longest to learn over a long period of time is I always consider myself to be a really straightforward and, and honest person. And so if somebody yeah. asked me a question, can you do this? And if it's something I think I can't do, I would just say no. Um, And what I've learned over time is everyone hates hearing the word no, everyone. Um, And so, uh, and I realized too, I'm really sort of selling myself short by, Mm -hmm. by saying that in the moment. And so what I have trained myself to do and what I give others the advice to do is to say, you know, give me a second to think about it. Can I come back to you? And Giving yourself time away from that situation in order to come up with ideas, you may not think of a solution, but you might. And if it's something you might not have thought of in the moment. And if you go back and you're able to do it, then that's amazing. And if you go back and you say, hey, listen, I really put a lot of thought into this and I I can't figure out exactly how to give you what you want, but here are some alternative solutions that are close Mm -hmm. or similar things people will understand that you've honored their ideas and that you've taken them seriously, and they'll be much more inclined to accept those solutions at that point rather than just offering those solutions off the bat. So that's right. that's a thing I've sort of learned in terms of negotiating collaboration along the way. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. In terms of projects I have coming up, uh, I'm currently sitting in the lobby of Indiana Reptory Theater where um, we're beginning a production of Oedipus, which has a live percussion score that will be played nightly here at the theater. Um, wow. I have two uh, podcast series that are out, Marvel Wastelanders, which is currently playing on Apple, Spotify, and different things. And I also just finished um, an eight-episode adaptation of William Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale, which is on Next Chapter podcast. Um, And I created the music and sound for that as well. Um, and then I have a film that will be coming out fairly soon. Uh, It is called Dinosaur Discoveries, and it is going to begin at the Houston Museum of Natural Sciences. Sciences. It is a 45-minute film about dinosaurs, like an epic sort of dinosaur movie, and they're using holographic cinema technology, similar to what Tupac uh, used to appear at the Super Bowl a few years ago. They're using that uh, as sort of the next wave of, um, what will happen in cinema in the future using holograms as part of a cinematic presentation? So I'm I'm super psyched about it, and I got to make really epic, huge dinosaur music, which is which was an unbelievable experience. I had so much fun. So that's, that's what's happening. Awesome. With me. <laughs>
0: that's awesome. Um, Andrew, how about you uh, wrap us up? Is there a piece of advice that you can give to people entering this wor- this world? <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. Um sure. So so the first thing is. Um, write every day. I know it sounds like kind of silly. It's like, but our, our, whatever your format is, whether that's your computer or sitting down at a piano with pencil and paper, whatever it is, um, that's your instrument, right? So you need to practice it and, um, you know, write and write and write and write. I'm sure everyone on this panel, everyone I've ever talked to is just like, they spent a long time writing and practicing their craft before they were ever hired to do anything. Um, you know, so that's the first little bit. And the other thing is, uh, don't take things too personally, you know, uh, don't, you know, don't, if the producer doesn't email you back or text you back or call you back, it's not because they hate you or because they think you're terrible, it's because, you know, they may be busy and hopefully they are busy. Cause maybe if they're busy, they're more likely to hire you, you know? Right. right. And then, um, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs in this job and it's easy also to get personally hurt because you're putting, when we make art, especially making art for somebody else. Like you're putting yourself out there and um, you know, it's really easy whenever to get hurt, whenever somebody writes back and says, ah, it's terrible. I don't like it, you know? Yeah. And so because we're making art for other people, we're not making art for ourselves. It's easy to take things personally whenever, you know, you really, it, you just can't, you know? Um, those are the two, the two pieces of advice. And um, as for what's coming up, Um, The old way is now on demand. The, um, the album, so like streaming on demand, the album should be on digital platforms on Friday, February 17th. So I assume after this podcast releases uh, or before, sorry, before this podcast releases um, February 24th, I have um, another movie going limited theatrical run called bunker, which is a world war one body horror movie. So like, Awesome. <laughs> uh, guys get stunk in a in a bunker uh, and there's something there waiting for them so um which is a lot of fun and that uh score also releases on the 24th of february um which like full orchestra kind of if you like the score to like alien and and that kind of thing, it's in that vibe it's the this the, the director describes it as like neoclassical like what if a com- a horror composer what if a composer from the 40s scored a horror movie? this is the whole pit. <laughs> Uh, and then the last thing is um, sometime in the next couple of months, I think March or April, I co scored the final season of Disney Animations, The Owl House, with Brad Breek. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So the finale of that show comes out in the next couple of months. I'm, they haven't announced the official date, but I think it'll probably be March or April, but I don't know um, the official time. So all exciting stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, Everyone, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know you all are so busy and to to come together from all over. I mean, we're all over the country right now. So it's just fantastic to be able to talk to you all in one place. Andrew, Lindsay, uh, Johannes, and, and Janelle, thank you so much for your insight and your expertise and, and opening up about your... Uh, your process and i want to thank uh, everyone at impact 24 our friends at impact 24 for helping us organize this and put this together uh with film music media and uh yeah we have more panels uh of of the series at filmmusicmedia.com so be sure to go check them out and uh, on our youtube channel as well so thanks everybody thanks for having us thank you